Welcome to Aspire. I'm your host, Gregory Penn. It is a beautiful Sunday morning, January the 3rd, 2015. Wow. Who'd have thought? Did you think he'd live this long? <laughs> 2015. Wow. It's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> I, when I'm on the internet and you're signing up for something, they ask you for your age and you get way, way, way down there, you know, like 1951 and you just way, way, they start at 96 and you, oh, it's just so funny getting old. It ain't for sissies, is it? I have some wonderful questions for you. Really, really wonderful. And I want to thank you for tuning in and listening I want to thank my sponsors, which make all this possible without their donations, without their kindness. You wouldn't be listening to any of this. So I want to thank you for all of the kindnesses that uh, you offer to me. It is all about serving humankind, and I hope that you find something in this radio program that serves you very well. That's all I'm really interested in. All right, let's get to the first question. Listen to this one from Stan in in San Diego. He's an old-time listener. He's listened to me for many, many years. I've never met Stan in all the years I've been doing radio and TV. He, it's just interesting that I've never been able to meet this guy, and I hope someday I will. So here it is, Stan. I fear that my relationship with my wife is a mere, are you ready for this, an emotional thing. I find that if I don't appease her, she becomes angry at me and thinks I don't love her. Greg, do I love her? Stan. Stan. You're probably like a lot of people, the majority of us in this world. Uh, we think we love our mate. We want to believe that we love our mates, but in truth, we don't. Yes, it is all about appeasement, and you are right. I fear you say that my relationship with my wife is mere emotional appeasement. Yes, it is. To appease another person is what it's all about. When you were dating, when you were, quote, unquote, learning about each other, when you were auditioning each other, which is what uh, dating typically is, we are looking for those ways in which another person might appease us. Now, I have sat in the counseling room for 40 years, and... I have heard many, many stories about appeasement. I've heard many stories about why people get married. I've heard many, many arguments about what keeps the people together or not. The woman is basically trolling for someone to take care of her. That's her whole deal. She isn't much interested in what she has to give in the sense of authentic, heartfelt things. She's looking at what will appease her. Will this guy, uh, Stan, in your case, will she um, find a man in you, Stan, that is going to 
uh, give her what she wants. She wants not to have to worry about money. I can guarantee you that. And um, should you uh, be of birth age where you two are in your 20s or 30s, maybe even I don't know, 40s for some people, you have to be able to have that lively sperm that is going to uh, make her egg into a beautiful human being that will have to love her for the rest of her life. Uh, for women, it is all about uh, feeling from the primitive sense that they are not enough, so they need to have uh, lots of people around them. No one examines, why do I want a family? Why do I want a big family? What's in the family thing for me? What What is this all about? What is this urge? No one questions that because that's the elephant in the room. No one wants to see how they love and what keeps them from the journey. It's all about appeasement. And you are right about this, Stan. You're there to appease her. That's why you buy her the ring. I think women should buy men Ferraris. I do. You want to marry me? Show me you want to marry me by buying me a Ferrari. And if you don't buy me a good Ferrari, one that is expensive, that I can show off to my friends, it must mean you don't love me that much. You know, all the Christmas commercials while I'm watching football, they're always doing these Christmas commercial things, you know, and if you really love your woman, it's the ring and that kind of thing. And so I think we ought to turn the tables. I think women should have to buy uh, a Ferrari. There is a um, a very beautiful Ferrari that I think every man should have it should he be getting married. And the woman should buy it and she should show her affection uh, to the man based on that. But that's not the way the culture works. The whole ring thing is to take each other out of the human race for a mate. In other words, you can't touch him. And the woman uses it, see how precious I am to her fellow um classmates in the, uh, shall we say, the college of how to land security and by the kind of the girth and uh, expensive uh, ring that a woman would wear, uh, she is telling everybody she landed a whopper, the shamu of men. So, it just goes on and on. And no one wants to admit this. No one, no one, Stan. If you keep uh, going on the way you are, appeasing her, you'll, you'll have everything you want from her for a while. And then she's going to want more and more and more. And uh, she'll think and you'll think that you had a good marriage because happy life, happy wife kind of thing. And this goes on. Nobody is fooled by it, at least not me, but... I guess some people are, and Stan, maybe you're waking up. Maybe you're beginning to see what's going on here. You say, I fear that my relationship with my wife is a mere appeasement. I find that I don't. if I don't appease her, she thinks I don't love her. Really? Hmm. Golly, damn. That's sad. You, S-O-B, you aren't appeasing her enough. Why? Yeah, reassure her constantly. That's what it's all about, right? Reassure her. Reassure her. I like, uh, I don't know if this is true, but it is said that uh, Kellogg 
when he married his wife, uh, told her at the wedding ceremony, I love you with all my heart. This is the only time you're going to hear me say it. Know that the reason I married you is because I love you with all my heart. And that's the end of it. I wonder how she felt about that, if that story is even true. But it could be. I don't know. You know, Stan, to me, a relationship is more than appeasement. In fact, it has nothing to do with appeasement. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. If you live by appeasement, you will die by appeasement. And many people have relationships uh, with their mates, and it's all based on appeasement and gratification and all that other great stuff that uh, everybody thinks makes life worth living. And uh, that's the way they go. That's the way they live. They don't go any further. They don't go any deeper. They don't do anything other than that. And bingo, eventually it turns into the big D. Because according to what I have read lately, women have a secondary fallback guy. Read it on uh, the the Chronicle the other day that women uh, from the ages of 20 to 40, 45, typically admit that they have a fallback guy that they're looking at, kind of keeping in the ring. Um, So if the guy they're with doesn't qualify, if he doesn't get her what she needs and appeases her properly, she can dump him and go to the other guy. Pretty shrewd, huh, Stan? Study was done here in the United States and in England, and over 48% of the women polled and talked to agreed that this is what they're doing secretly. So, Stan, I don't know if she loves you, really. Why don't you stop appeasing her and say, do you love me? There is an old story that I love very much about all of this. I used to, when I was teaching, formally uh, share this with uh, the congregation. They didn't like it at all. No one likes it. No one wants to admit um, you know, that there's an elephant in the room. No one wants to admit it. Um, but here's the story. It's, it was written by Kierkegaard, and it's a very beautiful story about a young king who was very powerful and very rich who fell in love with uh, a humble maiden. And uh, he was going to marry her, but he thought about it and thought to himself, I wonder if she's marrying me because she loves me or she's marrying me to become the queen. Because if she marries me, she's going to eventually become the queen. So he thought it best to renounce his kingship and then offer his hand to her in marriage to see if she loved him or what she would become if she married him. So he denounced and he said to his visors, the reason I'm doing this is I want to do everything I can to make love possible. Hmm. I think that is a very beautiful thing. And then he offered to marry her. And that's where the story ends. We don't know whether she accepted it or not. But I love it. To make love possible. You see, Stan, in an authentic relationship, the people aren't having a relationship with each other. They're not. (laughs) This is the thing that eludes everybody. You're having a relationship with love. Love first. Big L, not little L. Not emotionality, but big love. Real love. 
And when I have a relationship with love first, then my relationship with another person can be that which takes me into love, liberates me from emotionality, and allows me to love more fully, more beautifully, more authentically. So I'm not in love with Harriet or Sally or Jane. She is the conduit as I am to her the conduit for us to enter into a big love, the authentic love. And everything we do with each other is a rhythm, a dance, a, a harmonic kind of resonation into deep love. And the crux of it all would be about moving into the vibration of an authentic love and not just loving each other to appease each other. So Stan, you know, I'm the lone voice out there and you're not going to find anybody hearing this and going for it. And you may not even like this either, but you've hung in there with me all these years. So what the hey, here it is, babe. You keep appeasing her. You're going to have a mess on your hands and all that appeasement you're going to pay for now and later when she eventually finds someone else or divorces you and you have to pay her not only what you've paid her, but half of everything else. And it just gets really gnarly and ugly. It's all about love and marriage typically, not always, but typically is not about love. It's about survival. Good luck, Stan. You need any help? Give me a call. You know where I am. I can help you. Please forgive me, eh? Namaste. It's <laughs> nothing like people to take the love out of a marriage. Hmm? Next one comes from Andrew. What is the meaning of having a spiritual master? How does a Jesus or a Buddha really help? I don't get it, Andrew. Andrew, I understand what you're saying and I get what I, I get what you mean. I feel, but maybe I'm wrong. I could be really wrong about this, but I hear you saying something like this, listening to their words and what they teach doesn't always help because I don't relate to them and I can't understand what they're saying anyway. So why do we formulate any kind of, shall we say, religion or organization around spiritual masters that have died? It's a good question. Eventually, you have to read all the sutras. You have to read the Buddha, the Jesus, the Lhasas. You, you just have to read them to kind of get the gist of what's going on. But Buddha, Jesus, Lhasa would say this to you if they were alive. I can guarantee it. Forget what I've said. Find it on your own. Go to the direct experience. Don't let what I have said to you through words betray your effort towards love. Now that is very real and that is very true. And that's very much what I think you're asking. And if you're not, forgive me that I misinterpreted you. Just forgive me. But to me, this is the authentic message you are sending out. I have read Jesus since I was a little boy. And a lot of what he said 
when I was a child and I was trying to understand it, decode it as I thought, um, was very difficult. It was counterculture to my family even. I mean, when he says, unless you hate your mother, your father, blah, 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 you cannot be my disciple. Whoa, really? When you're little and you read that, you think, what the hell is he talking about? It's very, very disgruntling when you're young, but intriguing. So as you get older and you start realizing you're living into your life and what he had to say was so relevant to your uh, living, then you start to paying attention a little bit to these masters. I didn't know anything of Buddha till I went to India, Andrew. Not a word. I never, I thought, you know, I, I, I heard the word of Buddha, but I, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. I was so dumb. And then I go to um, uh, India and I sit there and I hear the master that I was with talking about the Buddha. And I started having direct experience with the consciousness of a, an awakened human being. And then all of the sutras lit up. All of their teachings became relevant. It wasn't one teaching over another, one master over another. They all lit up like a garden within me. And I could see all of these beautiful possibilities, all these beautiful things. My God, Jesus was talking from Buddha. Buddha was talking from Jesus. Lao Tzu was talking from the grand picture of it all. And they all shared the same insights. They just said it differently. And for me, that helped. And what it did is it put me on the path in a superficial way. And that's the way we need to start in our superficialities. I hate to say it, but it's true. Then as you become more proficient in your heart, in your soul, in your being, when you become more interested in love than you are in hate, then, then you start to hear the words that they teach and you start to realize they're being taught from consciousness and you start going deeper and deeper and deeper. And you start to being willing as a person, at least this is how it happened for me, Andrew, I started being willing to drop my old value system, my old ideals of right and wrong, good and bad. I started to feel the ebb, the flow, the pulse of something greater than my own beliefs. And then I realized how my beliefs are so stupid and selfish and self-serving that they don't help me and they don't help anyone else. And then you go a little deeper and a little deeper. Pretty soon, Andrew, you drop the words they taught. You get what they meant. You get the vibration of what they meant. You feel their intent. And once you start to feel the beauty of their intent, it becomes the intent you have as well because you, you know it deeply inside. You have to be driven to understand this beyond words and thoughts. You have to feel the vibration of what they are, their essence, which lives very purely and very simply just beyond human mind. Once you feel that, you will 
start to meditate because you will realize the only way to journey into that kind of consciousness is through love itself. And you will journey into this through meditation and your life will become now something it's never been before, a joy, a beauty, a bliss. That's why. So read the scriptures, read, read the sutras, read the Beatitudes, the most powerful teachings that Jesus ever offered. And to me, the blueprint for great spirituality. Read the Dhammapada, the Dati King. Just read them. And if you can get into Krishna a little bit, he is very powerful, very beautiful. You will find that all of these great masters share one thing. They have one message. It's all about love. As you are all about love, Andrew. And please forgive me. Namaste. It's a great question. Wow. What a neat guy. And what a powerful question he brings most people would be too afraid to ask that question. He's very, very cool. Last one comes from uh, Randy. And I don't know Randy. I don't know where he lives. No one tells me where they live. <laughs> They're afraid I'll come and get them. And here's what he said. It's very sobering. I am so very sad. I'm so very sad about the world. Is it life making the world the way it is? God or us? Randy, Randy, I, I saved your question for last. It is so beautiful. You must be a very beautiful man. I too am sad. I too am very, very sad about the world. But it's not God and it's not life. It's our abuse of both in a way. Uh, that makes all this happen. We have no love in our hearts. We live in emotionality. And in our emotionality, there is no love. There is no kindness. There is no compassion. There is no yielding. Everything in our human heart is about what we want, what we believe, and what we think. And that's all we do. What we want, what we think, what we can get. It's a very, very fearful world because it's become so dangerous through using technology in a way that is unloving. What can I say to you? Randy, it's all about love. And you can't let the misery of the world be the sorrow of your life. You just can't do that. As sad as I am about the way this has all turned out, and I thought it would be better when I was younger, like anybody, I started to realize deep inside that you're not going to change the world. I have to change myself. And you need to keep your eye on yourself. You must be, as Gandhi said, the change you wish to see in the world. And if you can't be that, then all you are is bitching and moaning. And don't become a bitcher and a moaner. It does no good, it helps no one in this world, and you will never find anything that will change. If you and I can make effort to change ourselves, to work away from our emotionality, which produces fear and hate, 
and move into consciousness through love and gratitude, service to humankind. If you can do things like that and devote your entire life to that, then you have done something amazing. You have made a small scratch in this world and you have also changed the ebb and flow of you. I admire your kindness. I admire your concern. But to go into depression or to be sad about it and live your life in that kind of sorrow is useless and unnecessary and very indulgent. You must come out of it. If I sit and listen to all the horse manure that is going on in the world and the tragedies that are going on, then I make no inner progress. The other day I was reading in the Chronicle um, a story about drunken Santa Clauses and how they, at a Christmas time, uh, don these terrible costumes that are tattered and worn and silly, and for the women, of course, scantily clad, and go out into um, San Francisco, uh, down to uh, Union Square and get drunk and, you know, sit around and, and amuse people. And it's called Bad Santa Day. It is things like this. I never believed in Santa Claus, and it was a big farce to me anyway. But it's this kind of thing where we display our hatred, our fear, our anger in such ugly ways that makes for our life being so darn difficult. And who can talk people out of it? Certainly not me. So there you are, my dear friend. What can I say to you? What could I possibly say to you to help you with this? Be a light unto yourself. Be the change you wish to see in this world, as Gandhi said. Let love live you, and don't worry about the rest. Just meet everything you can with compassion, love, and forgiveness. It is the only thing that any of us can do. Thank you, Randy. Please forgive me, eh? Namaste. If you have a comment, a question, or something I can help you with, please come to this website at aspire.org. Go up to the top of the page. You will see contact and click on it. As you click on it, you will reach me and any question you have, I will be very interested in. If you don't want me to use your name or where you live, just let me know. I will abide by that. And if you're not a sponsor... I hope you will become one because it is only through sponsorship that these radio programs can even exist and be aired publicly. Have a wonderful day. I'll be back on the air tomorrow. Please forgive me. Please. Happy New Year. Namaste.